0: Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people like you make better informed money decisions. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London.
1: Hello, I'm Andrea Fox, a journalist, broadcaster and the host of The Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. This podcast was recorded during the coronavirus outbreak, so please excuse any sound issues as we are recording remotely. And for the latest information on financial supports and benefits, visit gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. Now, for most people, when you think about your finances, you probably think about what products you might need how to save for that big purchase or maybe you just aren't sure about the right things to do when it comes to your personal finances. I'm joined today by personal finance expert Sarah Pennells who works for All London and is a returning guest on The Penny Drops. You may have seen Sarah on programs such as Rip Off Britain on the BBC or Steph's Packed Lunch on Channel 4 and she was recently on Radio 4's Money Box. Now today Sarah is going to be talking to us about why it's time to think differently about our finances and what we want from them. Welcome back Sarah. Thanks very much Andrea. Hi, will we have the dogs making an appearance on the podcast again today I hope?
2: (laughs) Well hopefully not but never say never when it comes to the dogs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well thank you so much for chatting to me again for the penny drops but let's get into today's sort of topic. It's an interesting idea but what exactly do you mean by thinking differently about our finances? What should we be thinking differently about and why?
2: Well, you're right. I think it is a really interesting idea. I think this is, this is fascinating. But traditionally, I guess, when we've thought about our finances and certainly when financial providers have talked about topics such as pensions and investments, there's really been a focus on what the product can do for you in purely financial terms. So, you know, what you pay in and what you might get out. And obviously, that's really important. But people don't often think about their finances in isolation from the rest of their lives. And, you know, as a mutual that puts our customers first, neither should we. So what does that really mean? I'll give you an example. Um, Supposing you've got a pension and, you know, you you take out the pension, you pay into it for 30 years, it performs well, and at the end of it, you get enough money to have a comfortable retirement. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. But it won't (laughs) be a comfortable retirement if your house floods every year because of the effects of climate change yeah. um, or if the air in your neighborhood is so polluted that you can't have your grandchildren to come and stay or it even affects your own health and though that's really what we're talking about about thinking more broadly about your finances um, I mean there's a flip side to that which is that you know if you take out a pension and it's invested in companies that are helping to tackle climate change uh, in a really positive way but you know you don't get any money back or it's really bad return so you don't have a good retirement then that's not ideal either. It's really a combination of looking at what your money is doing, but then looking more broadly at the impact it's going to have in the world that you'll be living in later on.
1: Yeah. And I suppose, would it be right in saying that we do have not only some responsibility, but also some power in those choices to ask the questions so we kind of know what our money is, is working towards?
2: I think that's a really interesting question. And I'm going to sort of answer the, the 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 first bit, first about having the responsibility, because I think that's also part of the picture. It's, it's about your money and what you want from your money and what you want your money to do. But I do think it starts with us understanding the responsibility that we have. So, you know, you might be thinking, well, why do I need to even think about my pension? Because i'm paying in, I'm paying national insurance and there's going to be a state pension isn't that the government's responsibility to basically look after me in retirement you know i work i work in my my working life and, and I should get something at the end of it hmm. but if you look at what's been happening to the state pension age over the last few years um it's risen from sixty five to sixty six for men and it's risen from sixty to sixty six for women in the last uh, well decade or so hmm. and it's due to rise to 67 in a few years time and then planned further rises to 68 and beyond but if you talk to people and ask them when do they want to stop work when do they want to retire they often don't say 66 or 67 or Mm. 68 it's it's you know typically sort of early to mid 60s and I think even those people who like the idea of working beyond retirement age and there are some people who love their work and they are happy working as long as they're sort of physically able to but I think there's a difference between thinking I love my job or I love my work and I want to work into my late 60s and beyond and thinking I have to do this because otherwise I can't there's no income for me to live on and even if you look at the state pension so, so take away the fact that it won't be coming in until you know, 66 at the earliest, and for some people who are younger, probably several years later. Currently, um, the most that you will get under the new system, which was introduced in 2016, is around £180 a week. So that's less than £9,500 a year. And again, if you ask people what they want to retire on, you won't get one answer, but it's often more than £9,500 a year. Mm. So that's why we all need to care about this when you know, you might think, I don't, I don't actually have any responsibility here. Well, well, unless you want to live on a state pension, and you want to wait until it kicks in, there is something else that you will need to do. And for most people, that's going to mean putting money into a pension. And then we come to the second bit, which is kind of where we started talking about thinking about the power that that gives you. And I think, you know, pensions and power, those two words don't always go together very well. (laughs) And that's, I think, because sometimes there's a, real focus on you know the pension as, as, a, as a product it's something that you can save into and then when you retire you take money out of it and not actually what it's doing in between so while you're working and paying mm. in and if you're if you're working for a you know for an employer they, they pay in as well what's it doing in the meantime and it, for a lot of people it's a bit of a mystery uh, but actually that money's being invested and it's being invested in a wide range of companies and some of those companies will be doing things that are very positive for the environment. For example, some of those companies may be doing things that are less positive. But that's where that power comes from. Because if you you start start asking questions about where your pension money is invested and finding out, um, actually you realise that you do have some power. And once you look at the collective picture, so it's not just you investing and you making a decision, but with a pension provider, you know, like Royal London, looking after you know millions of people's money then actually that's quite a lot of what power or influence whatever word you want to use in terms of having conversations with companies that that royal london invests in about what they're doing why they're doing it and starting to kind of influence put pressure on them challenge them to get them to change their behavior to get them to um take steps to improve the, fact that the, the the footprint they leave on the environment, maybe make sure that they are treating their workers fairly, engaging with their community. I mean, you know, the, the list goes on and on.
1: And it does remind me of a quote which is often talked about in sort of, in to do with the environment, what can I do, said 8 billion people. So <laughs> there is that opportunity, isn't there? I remember when I very first opened my pension with the first provider, my pension was with, I think I said... Um, Uh, no guns and no war something like that like that's all I thought I could sort of say yeah I don't want to invest in anything like that but if people are starting to ask more questions not only about their pension but any investments what
2: are sort of some of the terms that we can look out for Uh, again that's a really good question because um, financial products do come with their own language jargon, jargon. <laughs> whatever you want to call it I mean let's not let's not sort of you know sort of step cautiously around this one jargon and the sort of responsible investing or well, the sustainable investing world um, has its own jargon and those are just a couple of terms I've thrown in there and I do think that that can be a bit of a challenge in a way to kind of get into grips with it if you've never thought about well actually maybe I do care what my pension money is doing but I would say, don't be put off by the jargon. And I say that as somebody who, like you, you know, years ago when I first started working for myself and I set up my private pension, I wanted it to be invested in a responsible way. But I mm. didn't, I didn't even know the word, you know, responsible investment mm. at the time. I just knew there There's was no some... no language for it. Yeah. Some companies I probably didn't want to have my money in. Yeah. And I did find it, it's a bit of an alphabet spaghetti, really, in terms of the, in terms of the language. But I'll, I'll just sort of talk through a couple of the main ones that you might, you might hear. So um, there's a, a sort of an acronym called ESG, which is one mm. that I think is, is going to be used sort of increasingly in coming months as there's a real focus on, on climate change. And as we're going to, the UK is going to be hosting this big climate conference in November yes. in Glasgow, uh, COP26, which people may have heard of. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And it sort of refers to a way of looking at a company and looking at how it operates as well as what it produces and the the profit it makes. So just to take them one by one. I think environmental is probably the easiest one to explain because it refers to a company's impact on the environment, which could include its its carbon footprint, sort of um, the amount of waste it produces, whether it pollutes the environment and so on. Um, Social refers to how a company deals with its stakeholders, so that could be anything from its suppliers, its employees, its customers, the, commu- the wider community it operates in. Um, and then governance, that really is about how well run a company is. So the kind of controls that it has in place, things like executive pay. And responsible investing takes those um, environmental, social and governance factors into account. And what that means is in terms of how a company or a fund invests can vary widely. So uh, with some providers, and, and Royal London it's one of them, um, we'll engage with companies that we invest in responsibly. So that means that fund managers will have conversations with these companies rather than just either making a decision to invest or not invest. And that could mean that pressure is is put on companies. So hmm. to give you an example, when you do invest in a company, you become a shareholder, you normally get, get a vote and you get to therefore have some influence um, in what a company does. Now, if you're an individual investing in a large company, that's quite a small amount of influence. But if you're investing on behalf of, you know, many thousands or uh, hundreds of thousands of, of customers, then it gets a bit bigger um shareholding normally means though that you will have a bit of a say in how a company is run so to give you a couple of specific examples in 2019 royal london's um, asset management's responsible investment team sent 141 letters to companies to explain why they were voting against or not voting on various proposals in the company's annual general meeting so um, companies have to have an annual general meeting and it's it used to be a chance for investors to kind of gather in one room and to kind of vote and, and give feedback on how they thought a company was doing. Well, even before COVID times, you know, big companies, that was not really happening. Some investors might be there in person, but many people wouldn't be. But the voting is still something that's quite important. So rather than voting in favour of what the company's executive were proposing, Royal and Asset Management Responsible Investment voted against or abstained. And the reasons for this varied. But, um, A common thread was concern around executive pay and corporate governance, um, as well as areas like energy use and climate change. And there are loads of other examples on individual companies where they have been sort of encouraged to change their ways.
1: When it comes to investments and making an impact with our investments, I suppose when it comes to this phrase ESG you've just described, what's ethical? For one person might be slightly different for another. So, what are the sort of examples in the real world that you could give us of um, of, of sort of ESG products?
2: I think that's such a good point that you've made about you know what's ethical to one it isn't necessarily to another, and I think that is why it's really good idea to have a to do a bit of research and to have a real think about what matters to you. Just to give you some really a couple of specific examples of. Um, the engagement I was talking about earlier. So basically talking to companies that you have a shareholding in and trying to influence them.
0: Mm.
2: So um, SSE is a major energy supplier, which I think many people will have heard of. And it's committed to be net zero by 2050. And net zero means that there's a balance between the amount of greenhouse gases um, that the company puts into the atmosphere and the amount that it takes out. So, SSE isn't doing this alone. The UK government's actually made a commitment to be net zero by 2050, as have a whole range of companies. But for an energy company to be net zero, there's going to be a really sort of fundamental change in how it operates and, of course, you know, what it actually sells. And while moving to net zero will be good for the environment, it may not be good for people who work in that sector. And there is also the potential danger that household energy bills could rise. So Royal London's Asset Management's responsible investment team have been um, engaging with SSE about how it makes that transition away from fossil fuels in a way that also takes into account wider effects on the economy and society. Mm. Just one example of how talking to a company can begin to make a difference. And I'll just give you one more, which is um, Adidas. So a couple of years ago this the Sportswear brand faced a bit of a backlash from both uh, the public, from its customers and employees over repeated instances of racially insensitive marketing. And the responsible investment team at, at Rolland and Asset Management decided to vote against the approval of um, management acts and they may consider sort of further action in the future, but it was just a way of registering and sort of stating that there was something that the company was doing. That was, you know, maybe not in line with what the what the um, responsible investing team were really looking for around these ESG criteria.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting to hear because like you say, environmental issues, social issues, they are vast and complex. So it's 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 not always a simple answer to these things, is it? And, you know, speaking of in making ethical investments, I've spoken to someone before and they explained how they maybe wouldn't want to invest in a distillery, for example, it's anything to do with alcohol. But for someone else, they might be, not, not find that an ethical question at all. So, yeah, it just comes down to what is important uh, for us as consumers, really. And just to flag, if you are listening to this, we did touch on some other um, sort of ethical issues last year, Making Ethical Choices With Your Money with Rob Harrison from founder of Eth- Ethical Consumer. If you haven't listened to it yet, do go back and listen to that one as well. But we have touched on pensions, Sarah. Um, but am I right in thinking when it comes to your pension... We should all be taking advice from a financial advisor.
2: It's a really good idea to get impartial advice from a financial advisor, especially for areas like pensions, where the kind of decisions that you make today could mm. have a very long-term impact. It's one of those things like, "Oh, this seems like a really good plan." I'm, you know, got a really good thought. Now I'll do this, and I'm I'm 25 or I'm 30, and then actually you might find when you're sort of 55 or 60 that there could have been a better way of doing it that maybe if you'd actually sort of paid in a bit more or paid it indifferently, or just made sure, as we've been talking about, that the pension that you have is really aligned to your value. So I do think it's a really good idea. And there's also some really interesting research that um, Royal London did in conjunction with the International Longevity Centre last year, which was looking at the emotional impact of taking financial advice. So there was some research done a couple of years ago which looked at the financial benefits and I think Mm. a lot of people would would be kind of like oh yeah well if you take financial (laughs) advice you know hopefully you will be better off financially that that kind of figures but the other benefit which maybe people don't think of so much it doesn't seem like an obvious benefit is actually about feeling more in control of your finances and feeling less anxious so there was some research done Mm. last year looking at how people felt about their finances and comparing those who took advice from financial advisor and those who didn't and again you might think well you know it might be wealthier people who take advice from financial advisor. so maybe you're not comparing like with like but actually the research looked at two different groups so it stripped them out to those who earn more than a certain amount looking at those who took advice and those who didn't and then those who earn less than a certain amount and doing the comparison again and it was the same occurred so If you were well off and you took financial advice, you felt less anxious and more in control of your finances than if you were well off and didn't take financial advice. So I thought, again, that was really interesting. It's not just about the amount of money you have. It's actually about this idea of having a plan, having an understanding of the longer term view of your finances and having that expert advice and input from somebody who really understands what you want from your money.
1: Yeah, it's like, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but the sort of soft effect of that, like you can look at the money side of that, but actually asking people, do you feel better in yourself having her um, talk to a financial advisor? That's, that's really interesting. And I suppose, is it true to say, if you're then feeding back to a financial advisor, these are the kind of things I don't want my money invested in. And these are the ones I'm more interested in. Is that something that feeds back to the financial industry as a whole?
2: Yeah, so this is obviously a really important part of the conversation to have with your financial advisor. And I think it is something that the advice industry is certainly much, much more aware of now, because interest in responsible investing has really grown Mm -hmm. over the last sort of 10, 15 years. But it is absolutely, as you say, important to talk to your financial advisor, not just about what you want in financial terms, and not just say, well, actually, this is how I picture my retirement, and this is what I think I might need and this is the kind of lifestyle I'd like so they can help you to build that kind of monetary plan to get there if you you like but also to really talk about and this is what matters to me in terms of what my money does now I think it's it's, it's really worth pointing out that some financial advisors have more expertise in this area than others and some Mm. financial advisors have more interest in this area than others so Don't assume that all advisors necessarily will have the same level of expertise around responsible investing. As with everything we talk about shopping around, it's really important to find an advisor who you feel comfortable with, who you feel has got the sort of expertise that aligns with what you're trying to achieve, but also who can help you. If this is important to you, can also help you to invest your money in a way that, you know, it's not just going to mean you can sleep at night, but you can sleep knowing that your money is trying to do some good. You know, I've got, uh, when I first went freelance many, many years ago, and, you know, went away from having an, an my employer's pension, which I didn't really have to think about and put money in, it was a salary related one, to then having to sort out a pension and think about it. And that was exactly what I, you know, I was thinking, I, I do want my money to to do some good. And I don't want my money invested in certain companies. And that was a really important part of the conversation I had around the pension that I then wanted.
1: I suppose we've talked about having maybe the power, the responsibility um, to make your money work differently for you and the world as a whole. But what other questions we should be asking to make sure, for example, that your pension's not only going to give you the life you want when you retire? Hello, vineyard in Provence, but also (laughs) help the climate, for example, which would be important to me.
2: I think the first thing is actually just to start getting information about what your money is invested in. So, um, again, there's some... uh, an interesting project that Royal London did last year called The Secret Life of Pensions, which was looking at, I love the title, but yes, it was a
0: good title. Kind of,
2: you should imagine your kind of pension going off and partying overnight, but it was yes. actually about um, where your pension money is invested. And you know, back to this point that quite often we think of a pension as being, it's something I put some money in and then when I when I stop work, when I retire, it'll be there for me and I can take money out. And not thinking about what happens in between. Mm. And it was really asking people what they knew about where their pension was invested. And actually, you know, for completely understandable reasons, there were quite a few people who just didn't quite know where, it, you know, didn't know what happened to it at all, so thought it was sort of sitting in a bank account somewhere. Mm. So the starting point really is actually, might be quite a kind of um, sort of a switch of thinking for some people about actually it's not just sort of, um, you know, sitting in a bank account, it's actually being it's being invested and it's being invested in a whole range of companies. And what those companies then do with that money could affect the world that we all live in, you know, in, in, a, in a small or a big way, the world that we all live in when we come to retire. And I think, I mean, that's something that I think is really exciting, actually, to think that, you know, the money that you're investing today could mean there's a, a better world tomorrow i mean that sounds a bit like an advertising line but you know what i mean <laughs> but yeah it's true isn't it and I,
1: I suppose a lot of the time when we talk of investments we think of risk but maybe this will be you know the next thing that we really have to consider a bit more than we have done in the
2: past risk is absolutely something that you should think about mm. and uh it, it, the two aren't mutually exclusive so you know as you would expect me to say, you know, investing is something that is certainly not without risk. um, Mm. And you have to be comfortable with that and understand that if you're going to invest in in the stock market, so put your money into companies, then their share price will rise and fall. And, you know, as we always say on these disclaimers, you could get back less than you paid in. Risk is always going to be an issue, but it's, it's not like the two are mutually exclusive. So, I mentioned um the G in ESG as being yeah. governance and that's down to how well a company is run. And in some ways, you know, you think, well, you, you only know how well a company's run when there's a headline, you know, good or yeah. bad, that, that we find <laughs> out. It's like, oh, I never knew they were doing that. Mm. But sometimes, you know, some companies are more transparent about what they do than others. And in some ways that's something that, you know, responsible investment teams will be looking at is what can we find out about how the companies run? What frameworks are in? Are, are there? How open are they about what they're doing? That that does feed into the risk, and I think again, you know, sometimes there's been a tendency to think of, oh, you can do some good things with your money, oh, and then there's the risk, and those two are separate. But actually, there is an there is an element to which they are intertwined, mm. and some companies are a bigger risk, or potentially a bigger risk because of their impact on the environment. And some companies are a bigger risk because potentially they're exploiting their workers, for yeah. example, or they're a bigger risk because they don't have the right controls in place. Mm. And, you know, that's actually a big part of what responsible investment teams are are looking at and the kind of decisions that they're making.
1: We've talked a little bit about um, jargon. We've uh, sticking with pensions as well, because I think for lots of people with workplace pensions, I've heard of this phrase pension default fund. Um how is that sort of relevant to this conversation? Do you have much choice if it, your pension is through your employer?
2: Yeah, it, so the default fund is the fund that if you are automatically enrolled into your workplace pension mm-hmm. or you've joined any workplace pension um, where it's one where you know, there's a it's called a defined contribution for pension. So basically one where your money is invested and your employer's contributions all in these sort of big, big funds then if you don't make an active decision about where that money is invested, it will go into a default fund. Okay. And that's to make sure that basically your money just doesn't sit in a bank account, sort of essentially that your money is invested, because over the longer term, um, that's, you know, that's the best thing to do with your money, is to invest it rather than try and sort of keep it in a savings account. Yeah. But a lot of people have their money in default funds without necessarily looking at where it's invested. And, you know, one pension provider's default fund may be different to another provider's default fund. So if you have a few pensions from your working life, for example, your money could be invested differently, albeit in default funds throughout the time. But I suppose more importantly, it could be that the default fund does not align with your ideas. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's really worth looking at where your money's invested, and this is information that you know your pension provider can tell you you can have a look you know either on the the website you know you'll have a um a, a sort of login if you're a member of a workplace pension scheme, there'll be a sort of website where you can have a sort of login or um maybe there'll be an app, so just sort of start thinking well actually what's happening to my money
0: mm.
2: and then if you if you're thinking you'd like to explore it more or maybe make some decisions about switching it. Then it's a good time to maybe talk to a financial advisor, either you know, your own if you already had one, or or find one if you don't. And this Mm -hmm. is where you know we were talking earlier on about the whole conversation around ESG and responsible investing. So make sure that you've got that in your mind if that's important to you when you're choosing an advisor. But that's where you can start then making a decision about where you do want your money invested. But if you don't do anything at all, then it'll be in the default fund. So this phrase that we're
1: talking about, default fund, is that something that applies to all pensions?
2: It applies to workplace pensions that are defined contributions. So ones where you pay some money in, your employer does, you get tax relief from the government, and then when you retire, you can take some money out of that pot uh, to give you an income. Now that's what the, the vast majority of workplace pensions in the private sector these days are defined contribution now if you work in the public sector then it's very likely that you will be in a defined benefit it's sometimes called final salary mm-hmm. uh, type of pension and there that it's a different situation because you don't get the choice about where your money is invested in the same way right. the pension money that you paid and your employer pays in is is invested on your behalf and in fact in some schemes It's not even invested at all in that money you pay in today is paid out to kind of today's pensioners. So it's a different kind of setup. But certainly in the private sector, if you've been automatically enrolled or you've joined your employer's pension scheme, then that will have a default fund.
1: Yeah. So sticking with that, then, how can I tell if the companies I invest my money with are having a positive impact? Is it something that all financial
2: service providers are already thinking about It's certainly something that I think more companies are beginning to think about, but not enough. And I think that's why this conversation is is so timely and really interesting is, Mm. you know, we're really keen that there's a much wider debate about, you know, what does good look like when it comes to our customers? And that example I gave right at the beginning of, you know, your house flooding every year or the air being so polluted that you can't have your grandchildren to stay. I think it really sort of brings to life why this matters and why it's, you know, why it's important for all of us to think about. It's not just some sort of nebulous idea where it feels like a nice thing to do. It's actually about really having a direct impact on the kind of world we may be living in when we retire or if we've already retired, we may be enjoying later on in life. And I think really it's about having a look at where your money's invested, You know, whether it is in that default fund, if it is do you want to invest it somewhere else? And also just what is what is the approach of, of your pension provider. Um, I mentioned the Secret Life of Pensions campaign earlier on and there's some really helpful information that explains a bit about how your pension money may be invested and where responsible investment comes in. I think that's a really good starting point but this isn't about you know Royal London and what we're doing alone. I think this, there must be a much wider conversation across the industry and you know, really keen for this to be something that, that becomes really commonplace to talk about and think about because the impact that your money could have in the longer term, especially through something like a pension, could be really significant. We've talked
1: about so the questions you can ask and some of the ethical issues around where our money is invested. But if someone's listening to this today, this week what's the thing they can do right now to make a difference?
2: The first thing I would suggest is to ask questions. So to mm. um, go on your pension provider's website, have a look and see where your pension money is invested and then really start to think about what you want from your money. I, I think that for a lot of people, this, this is a, such a personal thing as to what you want your mm. money to do. Yeah. is your real focus on the environment and the environmental impact of your investments or is your focus as much about how a company treats its its employees and those involved in its supply chain or is it about risky behavior or or or, or not of a company now it doesn't have to be either or but i do think it's it's a good idea to think about where you draw the line what are the kind of things that actually, I really want to prioritise this, and I'd love my money to prioritise this. And what are the areas where you feel like, actually, I understand that this could be a long a long term game in terms of getting mm. a company to change its behaviour. I, I don't know about you, but if I look at how I live my life, there's an idea of how I want to live my life. And then there's, a, there's the reality. And I'm afraid there's quite a big gap between them. But I also understand that if I was to say, well, actually, I won't I won't bother them because I can't do it all at the moment. Mm. That would be even worse. And I think it's the same mm. with with companies and investments. Yes, of course, you know it's not perfect, but we've got to. T- it's it's about the direction of travel. So I do think understanding that if an enormous company like I mentioned SSE earlier on, yeah. and you know a supermarket for example, if they make a change, whatever it is, even if that change is fairly small scale, because the companies themselves are so huge the impact that could have on their customers or on their community or on the environment could be massive. Yeah. And I think that is genuinely one of the exciting things about thinking about responsible investing is that, you know, as you say, the world we're living in isn't perfect and we as individuals certainly aren't. But it's about trying to sort of, you know, engage, nudge, talk, discuss get those companies to think differently. Thinking about the environmental
1: space but also the social space, we hear the phrase greenwashing. I think if companies are honest about what they are doing, what they're not able to do right now, I think that's that's really helpful to me as a consumer anyway. Um, we have touched on lots already uh, in this episode with Sarah. Just a reminder, wherever you're listening right now, there will be more resources in the show notes once you've finished listening to today's episode. But we are nearly at the end of the episode today, Sarah. So can I ask what your sort of top takeaways from this podcast today would be?
2: First of all, is to get some information, to think about your own um, investments, especially pensions, which are a long-term investment. Mm. Don't be put off by the jargon. Um, It's really easy to find out about the jargon. Online these days, it's it's very easy to do, but just don't be put off by it. There are some terms which we talked about, such as responsible investing and ESG, but they are really sort of, setting a framework as to how companies can be assessed above just their profitability and then really think about what matters to you and how you would like your longer term investments to make an impact. I think that would be my starting point.
1: We're at the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for everything you've chatted to us about. Now, you are, of course, a returning um, (laughs) podcast guest. Um, We normally ask our guests what advice they give their 18-year-old self. But as you've done that already before, today we were wondering if you'd share with us the best piece of advice that anyone's
2: actually given you. This is a really difficult one. I was (laughs) thinking about this earlier on and it's like there's been so many so many pieces of advice that I've been given, some that I've taken and some that I have to say I've ignored. But <laughs> I, I suppose one that um, came back to me a, a bit over the last sort of year, sort of uh, 18 months or so, when we've been living in really very tough times because mm-hmm. of the coronavirus pandemic. And sometimes I think a lot of people have found it all kind of overwhelming because there's been a lot to worry about. And somebody said, you know, will you will this still be an issue in you know uh, 10 days 10 weeks or 10 months and you know if it's an issue in 10 months then maybe you need to give it some brain space but if it's not going to be an issue after 10 days or 10 weeks kind of don't worry (laughs) And, and I have come back to that a few times in the last sort of year or so and just understanding I guess that you know sometimes things can feel quite a bit stressful especially because of coronavirus but it does pass yeah and I think just on a On a completely lighter note, um, the other piece of, I don't know about advice, but certainly I've discovered, which is that if you order a plate of chips, no matter whether everybody says they don't want one, (laughs) they will always steal your chips. I think the
1: same might be true of puddings, (laughs) to be honest. No, no, you have a pudding and then half your pudding is gone. Um, I love that about, yeah, I'm thinking about everything that I'm stressing about right now. and wondering if it will matter to me in 10 days' time.
2: (laughs) I think it is helpful sometimes when you you know you, especially at the moment I say a lot of people working from home when you yeah. maybe not having that support that you normally would and you just mm. bounce ideas off and you just realize that actually some things don't matter
0: mm.
2: yeah. and it's about taking that sort of step back which um, I've certainly have found that helpful over the years
1: yeah oh Sarah Pennells thank you so much for joining me on today's episode I've really enjoyed it thank you for chatting to me for The Penny Drops me too thanks for having me
0: thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops we hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London.